I'm reading this morning from Revelation chapter 2, starting with verse 18. And it says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Sorry. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the test of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden." Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear that the Spirit says to the churches. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, Lord, I... um, with great humility, ask for your wisdom, ask for your discernment. Lord God, as we teach this text this morning, as we open our hearts to the movement of the Spirit through the Word, Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would move within us this morning and challenge our hearts. Open us to what you have to say. For this is for all of us, not just the church at Thyatira thousands of years ago, but for us today. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The tendency that could take place within these books is for us to strive to find a personal application, a personal interpretation of, this, of these letters. A personal interpretation of these letters would be wrong. A personal application would not. For the interpretation of these letters, these letters are written to families, church families, gatherings of people. 
That's really important for us when we study this this morning. Well, it'll be important for us to ask some personal questions at the end of this to gauge our hearts and to see if where we're at in, in, in this letter. This letter is written to the church. And so as we of elders have gone through these letters, we're asking ourselves the questions, are we guilty of some of these things? Is our church known for some of these things? And I think when we went through that first church in Ephesus, yeah, that, that struck home a little bit that we're really good on doctrine. We're really, you know, we're, we're very, we, we, we talk a lot about doctrine and we're solid in our doctrine, but are, are, we, are we like the church in Ephesus and that we're losing our first love? And that we're compassionate with each other, we love each other, we care with each other. That, that, that when somebody's struggling to believe something or somebody's struggling to get to under, rightly understand a doctrine or truth, are we patient with them? Are we long-suffering with them? Are we guiding them? Are we leading them? Or do we just disregard them or cast them away? So we look at the church this morning and we discover an interesting statement. And before we start talking about that, I want to begin this morning by telling, just thanking the incredible women of our church body. It's something I don't do enough or talk about enough. But we have amazing women who serve this church body. And in fact, I would probably say we have more women in leadership in this church body than we do have men, which is interesting, but not uncommon in the church today. But I can honestly say all of the women that are serving this church body in a leadership position are doing so with great humility and great love. Think of the ladies downstairs right now that are loving on our kids. And which we need some help with. This brings me to a little sidebar comment that we've, we've put out there that we're looking for someone to help organize and to kind of coordinate our children's ministry. And so we're still looking for that person. Kelsey needs a break. And we'd like to give her that break, but we need this person and Kelsey's needing to step down. And I think that we really need to come up with someone very soon. So please search your hearts. See if God is calling you, man or woman, either one, to coordinate. Again, we're talking about five hours a week. If it's, you know, once you learn it and kind of get the rhythm of it. I think about the ladies of our mercy and care team who you do not notice very much because they work so behind the scenes. The cards that you get on your birthday or anniversary, when someone gets sick, the cards, the flowers, the calls, the loving touch, they are the hands and feet of Christ to us in those moments. I think of Stephanie leading our music team, and you talk about a, a, a warrior in our church body. <laughs> it's hard leading musicians. It's hard. But, uh, and it's hard putting up with the pastor. He just can't make up his mind. But she has just done so amazingly year after year after year after year. I think of the coordination and efforts and, and of all the coffee and stuff and, and that being taken care of Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and the coordination of those efforts. 
I'm overwhelmed by the ladies in our church who just love us and who are present and who are compassionate and giving amazing mothers, amazing grandmothers, amazing spiritual mothers. And I'm so grateful for you. And so it makes this message a little tough. Because, like last week, <laughs> we saw this guy, Balaam. And, and what's being referenced here in, in, in the book of Revelation, he is using spiritual imagery over and over and over again. He's reaching back to the Old Testament to draw things from the Old Testament into this New Testament church that, yes, that occurred back then, but there's still ramifications of what was taking place back then going on now. And so there's not this... I don't believe there was this guy named Balaam in, in, the new, in the church there last week that we studied, but rather there was this problem that Balaam did back then and this idea that Balaam undermined God by intentionally being subversive through sexual immorality, by telling the Midianites and the Moabites, hey, you want to take down the Israelites, send your most beautiful, most attractive, most seductive girls over to them, getting them scantily dressed and scantily clad, and dance them in front of those young boys and intermarry with them, and they will stop worshiping their gods. And they will start worshiping yours. And here was this man, this, this deceptive man who used these things to pervert the people of God. Well, I think all of us would agree in here that, that men are fallen creatures. Amen? I think what sometimes we're slow to say is that women are fallen creatures too. And so we're going to look at that this morning with just honesty so we dive into this text. We discover a church, Thyatira, that's heading in the right direction. Thyatira. There we go. There we go. Is artist rendering. Now, different than the other churches that we've seen, this, this, this church wasn't built on a mountainside or a cliff. It, it, was, a, it was a crossroads kind of town. It was a town that would have been an intersection for major roads and at a town where a lot of travelers would have gone through. And so the trades were really big in this town. Okay? So, you, you know, you've got your textile trades, you've got your tent-making trades, you've got your blacksmith-type trades, you've got these trades that would have gone on, metalworking, that would have been really, really popular. And what we understand is each one of these trades which would have had a, a god or a deity that would have been the god of this or the god of that or the god of this. Um, very similar to... I don't mean to offend people, but very similar to what the Catholic Church does with saints. You know, saints of, right? The 82nd Airborne has their own saint, okay? So, you know, very similar to that. They would have a God that would have been over each one of these, these trades. But trades were extremely important in this region. As it was a crossroads type of town commentary that I've been studying said this about Thyatira. It's some 30 miles inland from Pergamum, and it boasts of, a, of no high fortress land formations, and is therefore is not suitable as a major city. 
It is originally a military outpost town maintained to protect the road from Pergamon to Sardis. The trade guilds play an important religious role in the city, which at the time of the first century was primarily a commercial center of weavers, leather workers, potters, and bronze workers. Sir William Ramsey observes more trade guilds are known in Thyatira than any of the other Asian city. The Christians who are members of these commercial trades would have had a difficult time holding to non-compromised faith in view of the pressure from the guilds to worship at the various city temples and attend the guild feasts, most of which have religious connotations. So that's the kind of setting of Thyatira. We look at this and it says, The solemn pronouncement from the Son of God. The one whose eyes are like a flame of fire and his feet like polished metal. Do you remember the description of Jesus back in chapter 1? If you were to go back and look at chapter 1 right now and look at it, you would see very, very similar language used of Jesus when he's walking, the description of Jesus when he's walking amongst the lampstands. Eyes of flames of fire, feet of polished bronze. And again, that's not bronze. I love what, what, what the Holy Spirit does in John right here. John literally makes a by term for metal that we have no historical understanding of it all. This word is used twice in the New Testament, here and in chapter 1. It is found in no other ancient Greek source in the Bible or outside of the Bible. No other source. John uses a word to describe Jesus' like brilliant shining feet. This metal that that no one knows anything about, but it's incomparable. John's, it's like saying that like, it's bronze, but it's not bronze because it's so much better than bronze. It's so much more brilliant than bronze. And he's painting this picture of a righteous, holy son of God. And this is the only time in all of Revelation that son of God is used to reference to Jesus Christ. Is right here. Well, in chapter 1, it used son of man. It's like in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, he's fully God and he's fully man. Debate settled. Moving on. This is the one. Now why? Why this imagery? Why was it necessary for Thyatira to identify with these characteristics of Jesus Christ? Great question. So glad you asked. It shows you're paying attention. Okay. We're moving on. He goes on to say here, I know your deeds and the love and the faith and the service and your endurance and that your latter deeds exceed your first. This is a great statement. How many of you would like love for Jesus to say that about LSC? Raise your hands. Come on, seriously, people. Come on. See, like, absolutely we'd want this. Like, guess what? Like, you, are, you think your past is good? Nah! What you're doing now is so much better. Amen. You're growing in the Lord. You're doing things for the Lord that you never thought you could. You are heading in the right direction. This is a great statement for this church. Which should really perk up our ears because we're going, oh man, 
Thyatira's got it going on. I would have gone to Thyatira. I would have enjoyed that church. I would have a good time because, man, they, they were loving people. They were bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were proclaiming the truth. They're standing strong in the midst of all of this, this incredible pressure to cave in and to worship false gods. You can't be a good tradesman if you don't worship this God. You can't be a good tent maker if you don't work the, worship this God. You can't make good sandals unless you worship this God. And they're saying, are you kidding me? I can make better sandals because I worship Jesus. I'm the best metal worker because I worship Jesus. And they're in the midst of all of this, and here they are standing firm. But there's a problem. Hear us, church. Even in churches that are heading in the right direction, there can be issues. There can be things that are beneath the surface that are bubbling up that we may need to be aware of. And this church had a problem. But this I have against you, that you tolerate. And I want to stop right there. There's a kind of standard for the Greek lexicon of the New Testament. We actually use the author's and an acronym for the author's name is BDAG to reference this lexicon. And it says this about... This word tolerate. It means to convey a sense of distancing through an allowable margin of freedom. Let me repeat that for you. To convey a sense of distancing through an allowable margin of freedom. Leave it to someone to do something. Let, let go, allow, or tolerate. There is a problem in Thyatira with an individual that the text seems to indicate through the use of Jezebel as a woman who is being subversive. But the real problem It's not the woman. The problem is the church is tolerating this. She wouldn't even be mentioned if the church was tolerating this. If the church wasn't tolerating this. If the church had seen this person come in and had dealt with whatever she was doing, we'll get into that in just a minute. If they would have just stepped in and the minute that this bubbled to the surface, they said, no, no. That's not right. That's false teaching. That's false doctrine. That's unloving. That's unkind. It's against. It runs against what Jesus Christ came to save us from. It's bad. It's evil. It's wicked. And so instead of calling it bad, evil, and wicked, they kind of distanced themselves a little bit from it and said, well, I'm not really going to call that out. got some good points maybe it's not that bad person's maybe nice so we're going to let it go on and we're not going to confront it 
And in so doing, Jesus is calling out this church for tolerating them because what's going to happen is it's going to infect and it has infected this body. We live in a world that wants us to tolerate. A great example is the coexist bumper sticker. And I've talked about this before. It's got every like religious symbol on it, right? And it's coexist spelt out with these religious symbols. And the cross is a part of it. And what they're communicating in that bumper sticker is we're all good. We tolerate everybody. When it comes to the church, when it comes to the people of God gathered for the purposes of God, for the glory of God, guess what? There's truth, and we cling to truth. We go out into a world, and we bring that truth witness, and we love those people so that someday they may understand that there is real truth, and that coexisting does nothing but condemn people to hell. That's what coexisting does. When Christians decide to no longer be bearers of the gospel, we become coexisters and we damn our neighbors, we damn our friends, we damn our peers, our children to hell. This is strong language, but what do you think Jesus is using here? This isn't a joke. We're not sent here to coexist. We're not sent here to tolerate. And especially as a body of believers, we're not to say, well, we're just going to let this happen and not stand for the truth, for orthodoxy. So yes, if you bring another or new teaching on the Trinity, bye-bye. No, absolutely not. We're going with what the Bible says about the Trinity. If you want to talk about Jesus, well, in this moment, Jesus was being man, but he wasn't being God. Or at some point, at some point on the cross, Jesus ceased being God, and he was fully man at that point. If you believe those things, they're wrong, they're false, and we won't tolerate that teaching here. Because he's always God. Always fully man, fully God. And you know what's crazy is some of you are listening to people that espouse those teachings. And I'm not going to call them out here. And and the reason I'm not going to call them out, because I don't want you to get distracted from the rest of the message. Because if I call them out, you're going to get online right now on your phone and you're going to start diving in. I don't want you doing that. But if you're really interested and if you're really concerned, am I allowing people into my life that are teaching false doctrine? Because they sure sound good. They sure can make me feel good. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you. The elders would love to talk with you. Because there are people out there that are really good about making us feel good about ourselves. And really bad with orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is about making us feel good for where we're at. In fact, most orthodox teaching will... As Chris, my brother over at the Nazarene, said, the gospel's always bad news before it's good news. <laughs> Orthodoxy will often reveal in us places that we don't believe the truth, but it's an opportunity to repent, confess, and believe. Tolerate is not a good thing. Well, who are they tolerating? 
oh boy, this woman Jezebel. I mean, if you studied the Old Testament and the kings of the Old Testament, especially the kings of Israel, let me tell you what, there's no woman in the Bible who's more evil and wicked than Jezebel. In fact, 1 Kings says this is kind of a good summary of who Jezebel was. 1 Kings 21, 25, there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. The woman behind the man. Jezebel was a wicked woman and she had some serious gall. She took on Elijah. She took on Elisha. She was a woman who had no respect or even remotely acknowledged the truth of who God was. In fact, she delighted in subverting God. She delighted in subverting God's servants. She was a wicked, wicked woman. Historians believe she was a gorgeous woman. Very seductive. Very attractive. A kind of girl that walking in here would would turn a lot of heads. The kind of girl that if she was to come into a place, people might begin to make excuses to begin to follow her. She was charismatic. She was smart. She was manipulative. As I began to think about words that describe this person, they came to mind were influential, dominant, intoxicating you'd want to have been around her because oh man what she said what she did like oh wow strong forceful passionate irresistible important controlling compelling beautiful as I think of the words that the book of Proverbs describes This adulteress, I think of Jezebel. Here, God says to the church in Tyra, you got a Jezebel in your midst. Guys, that's huge. Gals, that's that's monstrous. Like, that's the he could have pulled out another name of of a wicked person. There were some other wicked women in the but he pulls out the name, plants it right there, and says, You guys are doing great things, but you're allowing this wicked, evil woman in your midst. And notice something about her. She is a self-proclaimed leader. She calls herself. Don't miss that. She calls herself. She is a self-proclaimed leader here in this church. She is a self-appointed prophet. She's standing up and saying, to be a prophet, you do this. Thus saith the Lord. She's a leader of God's disciples, which is terrifying. And where does she lead them to? Idolatry, 
and sexual immorality. She has been confronted about her false teaching. Man, that reminds me of Elijah. Reminds me of Elisha. Like confronting Jezebel and her wickedness and her, and she don't care. She's having a party, rebelling and sinning against God and getting her way. She is beautiful, she is seductive, she is attractive, she is manipulative, she's getting everything she wants. She lives in the castle, she's killing people for their vineyards, she's doing what she wants. She's getting everything for life for free, and she's enjoying it. And people see this and they're going, how can I be like that? How can I have that too? I want that kind of life. You seem to have everything. I want it. She doesn't care to repent. She refuses. And she is about to be judged. Sickness for her. And great suffering, great tribulation for her followers. And death for her children. And I don't think why all of a sudden we've been talking with his spiritual imagery, imagery, imagery. Now all of a sudden we'd go to physical children. I think this is talking about the people who believed her and followed her and became her spiritual children that God says, I'm going to kill him because I don't want this to go any further. Spiritual death is way more important than spiritual, excuse me, than physical. He wants to cut this off. They're spiritually dead. They're causing others to spiritually die. He's going to remove their life so that this movement will be stopped. I began to think about who this woman was and how this woman could gain such a powerful prominence. Was she an older woman who had been through much and gained respect, possibly through her suffering and knowledge and started to proclaim having visions or a new revelation? Was this a prominent, influential woman that swayed influence over the trades that was living with her boyfriend and wanted others to join her in her sin? Who participated in the worship of these idols and these feasts to these idols and incited other believers to follow her? Was she a woman that was... was Loose that was, was sleeping around, that was having a heyday, was having her cake and eating it too and enjoying all these things and inviting and inciting others to join her, pulling other women in, pulling other men in, and into saying that this was okay. Excusing the sexually immoral behavior of others. Was she giving a new and enticing teaching that maybe <laughs> softened the edges of Christianity a little bit. You don't have to suffer. God wants you to have more than one sexual relationship. God wants you to have all the money and wealth and possessions you want. Like, God doesn't really care if you worship that idol. You know, he knows he wants your business to succeed. And if you don't worship that idol, if you don't go to that feast, then your business isn't going to grow because people are going to ostracize you because you're not participating in these events. And God wants you to have a successful business. Come on. God wants you to have it all. So he doesn't care if you 
bend this rule a little bit? <laughs> Preach it, Lois. The great news is that as the elders and I were talking about this, we rejoice to we rejoice to say and to believe in our hearts. We don't have a Jezebel in our midst today. The churches that are heading in the right direction, doing things better for the Lord tomorrow than they were in the past, can find themselves with a Jezebel. You see, God made you women amazing and wonderful. You've <laughs> notice what Genesis says. Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The full image of God is in man and woman. Jesus in the, in the gospel of Luke. Ladies, if you're not a fan of the gospel of Luke, you should be. Jesus redeems so much of the brokenness that surrounded womanhood in the gospel of Luke. He, he, he elevates women. He says, these women have an important, powerful plan in my kingdom work. In the gospel of Luke, he just screams it. Jesus, I mean, who, like, at the garden, when Jesus is resurrected from the grave, and he's coming out like, who comes in and finds and discovers the tomb's empty? Women! But in, back in that day, that testimony would have meant nothing, but Jesus doesn't care, because he goes, that testimony means everything to me. I don't care what the world thinks. And he loved on women in that moment. And there were women that followed Jesus and loved Jesus. You look at Jesus on the cross and what he says about his own mom. He loves his mom. He cherishes her. He provides for her even in his death. Like Jesus loves women. And you have a powerful role to play in the kingdom of God. Powerful. And Satan wants to subvert that. Satan wants you to believe some lie about your womanhood and how God has shaped you and formed you. This, tell you tell, the, the uniqueness of man and the uniqueness of, of woman is the picture of God. Amen. Why do you think the world wants to destroy that? Because the world wants to destroy any form or shape of image of God so that God will not be worshipped and glorified. Women, understand who you are and how God has designed you and fashioned you, made you, and please embrace it and rejoice in God and stop looking to other places to have something define that for you. The magazines on the rack out of the grocery store do not define your womanhood. The successful CEOs of major corporations do not define your womanhood. Not to say that women can't be that. Absolutely, if God's calling them to go be that, that's fantastic. But for them to turn to you and to say to your daughters and to say to you that that's what you have to be to be a woman. That somehow being a woman at home and teaching your kids is, is not enough. 
Or that's not true womanhood. Or you're some less of a woman because that's your heart and your passion and desire. Or that you have no desire to be the best of the best of the best of the best in some business and you're sacrificing life and family and you're stressed out all the time in order to achieve somebody else's goal for you when God's not even calling you to that. Stop letting the world define womanhood. And men, stop letting the world define manhood for us as well. This teaches us what it is. How did Jezebel gain influence in this church? I don't think it started off with a really loud bang. I think it started off with this quiet, subtle toleration that grew into something that leads to this point where Jesus says, I have flames, eyes of flames of fire and feet of brilliant metal and I'm coming to bring judgment upon her and all those that follow her. You need to deal with it. This message is to be taken in light of all the messages of the church. That if we start encountering a woman in our church body that is, is rising up, women, I, I hope and pray that you would feel confident enough to speak out against that yourself or come to the elders right away and say, we've got a problem. Somebody's teaching against the doctrine of the Trinity. Somebody's teaching against the truth of Jesus Christ. Somebody's saying that you can be fully redeemed in this lifetime and that you reach a point in this lifetime when you no longer need the blood of Christ. And then we can deal with that right away. Or are you hear wind of some teaching being taught in a small group setting or somebody like, so that we can lovingly, again, we don't want to be at the Ephesians church so that we can lovely approach them to provide an opportunity for repentance Amen. and restore this believer to correct teaching and show this lady why this is wrong from the scriptures and love her and guide her. That's what churches do. We're not going to not have our problems. We're still in this world. We're still dealing with the brokenness of sinful men and women. We're going to have issues. The question is, how do we respond to those issues lovingly with great compassion? But not with toleration. You want to know why this is such a problem? Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Your painful labor you will give to the to, um, with painful labor, you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over. That is not a Valentine's Day verse. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering. Oh, I spread a great verse for my husband on Valentine's Day. Not a great one. What is, this is the curse. There is now contention between men and women. What God, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he made it to be this perfect, unified relationship because now sinners entered the world, this relationship is hard. 25, 
24 and a half, we're celebrating early this year, of years of marriage. Marriage is hard. We've had our nights where we thought, this is it. This is the end. And it was only by God's incredible power and grace that it wasn't the end. Marriage is hard. Men and women relationships within the church is hard because we are in a fallen world. But there's good news for this church. Who will overcome? But, I, but to you I say, those remaining in Thyatira who do not have this teaching, those who do not know the deep things of Satan, to you I say, not, notice how he puts this in the category of her teaching, the deep things of Satan. I say to you, do not put on an additional burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Remember last week we talked about holding fast, fully embracing who God is and the teachings of Jesus Christ? Like, embrace those things. He's not adding an additional burden. He's like, you know what you're supposed to be doing. You know what you're supposed to be believing. Hold fast to those things. And the one who conquers, the one who holds fast to those things, the one who discovers when he's failing to do so, repents of that, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, I will give him authority over the nations and he will rule with an iron rod as a jar of clay will break them to pieces and as, just as I have received authority, right to rule for my father, I will give to him the morning star. The one who has ears to ear, hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is he getting at here? We are co-heirs with Christ. Christ has all authority and someday when all the world is redeemed and we're with God in heaven, we too will have all authority over evil, darkness, and dominion and we will never ever, ever again choose to rebel against God. For those who choose, who conquer in Jesus' name, who walk and hold on to the teachings of Jesus Christ until then, they get to experience what it is to have full life apart from sin and death, not just apart from it, but under their feet, stomping on it, ruling over it, all authority over it. Like, you ain't got nothing on me anymore. I am free for all eternity, never to experience death, never to experience the effects of sin upon my body, never to have another perverse thought in my mind ever, never to have harbor feelings of bitterness, anger, resentment. None of those things will have any grip over me because I am ruling with Jesus and he has given me all power and authority over those things because of his blood. That's our future for those that conquer. Amen. Amen. You can get a little excited about that. <laughs> this is what awaits us. Jesus is telling the church, I want to set you free from that bondage that Jezebel just brought in your midst. But to set you free from it, you've got to stop tolerating it, condemn it, encounter it, not counter, but confront it. And if it won't repent, if the person won't repent, if the person won't seek God, then you've got to say, get out. 
get out. And that's hard. We live in Chelan, don't we? To stand against something means that that gets out pretty quickly. And so we want to be careful that when we stand against something, we're standing against something that is against the truth of God. That we're not standing against tertiary doctrine, tertiary teaching. And tertiary basically means not primary, not secondary, but, but out here on the fringes. I love this body of believers and I'm so endeared to it because we have people in this body that come from so many different backgrounds and I mentioned this. You know, Stephanie shared with me about her trip to Israel and that they're singing in this church in Jerusalem in this song and there's Hebrew and there's Arabic and there's English and everybody's singing in their own tongue this beautiful song before God. What a great picture of the throne room. Well, I think Sunday gatherings for us is a great picture of the throne room as we have people from Assemblies of God, Presbyterian, uh, Lutheran, uh, Bible Church, Methodist, um, uh, Reformed backgrounds gathering here together worshiping Jesus Christ. That's exciting because the world says we can't do that. In fact, the church says we can't do that. But the throne of God says differently. Because guess what? There's not going to be a denominational section in heaven. There's Jesus. And we'll be gathered there to worship and to glorify him. Amen. That's what awaits us. But it means we stand for truth. It means we stand for truth here. And if that false doctrine comes from a man, we deal with it. And if that false doctrine comes from a woman, we deal with it. In love and truth, we deal with it. That's why it's important that the elders of your church understand the word of God and that our leaders in the word of God. And I can honestly say they are. They're not perfect. They're not perfect, okay? We are not perfect. We're fallen individuals. And guess what? I, we appreciate when you come to us, if we've hurt you, if we've said something that, that, that damages our relationship with you so we can repent. But we want to set the example in that as well. Our hope is in what is to come. And it's worth believing in and it's worth speaking correctly about. Did Jezebel just become Jezebel overnight? I don't know. I don't know if she is a person who started off with a little bit of, of truth and teaching and then because something that happened in her life, God no longer, the truth of God no longer made sense to her, so she adjusted that truth to be something else or something different. I don't know. But I would challenge the women in this church this morning if you find yourself struggling to desire the truth of Jesus Christ because of an experience in your life, because something that, that happened to you as a child, that happened to you as an adult, that it, you're just having a hard time 
squaring with God, who God is with that experience, I would ask that you come and start talking with someone. With another woman in our church, we've got some amazing ladies that would, would love to talk with you and begin to work through that with you. Versus manipulating God to fit your circumstance. Because that manipulation of the truth of God in order to fit a circumstance is that road to becoming Jezebel. If you have a hatred for men in your heart because of something that took place in your life, I plead with you, don't let, don't let the evil one saddle you with that hatred. Christ wants to set you free with that and redeem your understanding of men and women and relationships. Because the family of God, the image of God is made up of man and woman. There are roads, there are roots that are, that are things that, that take us down, that begin to grow in us, that lead us to this place of, of being like that. Ladies, be aware of the conversations of your heart and the conversations of your mind. And deal with those conversations. And if they run contrary to what God says about you, that you are chosen, that you are loved, that you are precious in his sight, that you are valued. If there are other conversations than that, then you don't wait. Reach out. Ask someone to pray for you. Get involved in a life group and ask that life group to pray for you. Walk along with those ladies. Sit down with someone. We don't want to see this for your future. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for your word and for your teaching. That you care enough to speak to both men and women. That you want both men and women to be vibrant followers of Jesus Christ. It's a hard teaching today, God. But you, in the same breath of all this incredibly hard things dealing with, provide this incredible future for us. Because you are the Christ who has flames, eyes of flames of fire and feet of this amazing polished metal that we can't even bear to look at. Because of who you are, Jesus, we have, will someday have full power and authority over all evil. We'll have full power and authority over all the effects of evil. And so we get to live now imperfectly in light of those truths. And we understand, Lord God, to conquer is not to necessarily win every fight. But it's to win this war. That you have already won and secured for us for us to live victoriously now. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This time we share some God stories. I want to ask any of our kids, before we open it up to the adults, kids, any kids with a God story this week? They're all in the back hiding out.
Any kids with a God story this week? Ben, you got a God story? God sighting? No? None of our kids? Youth? Yeah. You, who? Do, ben does? Is, is, he, is he hiding? Come here, Ben. Come here, buddy. I just, I just love calling Ben out, you know. He had no idea this was coming either. This is great. Ben, you got a God story for us? Dude, let's rock and roll with that thing. Come on now. Um, last week at Life Group, I said to my friends how I, I had, had to have a break from my iPad. God has given me a chance to have a break for at least three weeks. And so that's my God story. Hey. <laughs> Praise God. That's outstanding. Someone else. Who else has got a God story this week? There we go. Hi, I'm from Seattle, the other side of the mountains. Um, I was at a retirement community this week in Seattle, and we did a, a get-together where I brought in a guy that's a pianist. We sang love songs to these retired folks. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the very last song we sang, uh, I sang Jesus Loves Me. And there was about 25 people in that retirement home, and one lady came up to me afterwards and said, I haven't heard that song since I was a little child. And there's a lot of uh, comfort and strength in that simple song, that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Oh, thank you. Amen. Anybody else? No, oh, here we go. I was hoping. Wasn't going to put any pressure on you. But, you know. um, no, I didn't quit coming to Livingstone Church. <laughs> um, I... Um, had I've been gone for three Sundays now, so um, but I had the most incredible um, opportunity to visit the Holy Land and um, spent time in Israel and in Jordan and did all kinds of things and saw all kinds of things. I learned a lot about you know history and um, um, politics, and I walked in places that where I knew Jesus walked, and I even Never mind. Um, <laughs> um, and I, d I did fun things and serious things. And one of the serious things um, that was very impactful to me was a visit to a church in Amman, Jordan. Um, in Israel, we learned that there are 1% of the population is Christian. And it's even smaller in Jordan. Um, but in Amman, Jordan, there's um, a church, a Christian church, Evangelical Philadelphia Nazarene Market Church. Yeah, um, and I, I wanted to explain what they were, I mean, what they do. I mean, they're a Christian church family just like us, but they have a special mission. Um, and so I thought, I can't explain it as well as they did. So I found their little thing online. Um, and it says, when Iraqis fleeing war started turning up in a poor neighborhood in Amman. This church wanted to help. Jordan welcomed refugees, but very few lived in classic refugee camps. They moved into cities, but couldn't take traditional employment and couldn't enroll their kids in public schools. 
The church started the Good Shepherd School, a Christian school for children of Iraqi refugees, many of whom had been out of school for years. It has a Montessori preschool and Arabic and English curriculum through elementary school. After the persecution of ISIS forced many Christians to flee northern Iraq, it also started a social enterprise to help Christian refugees make and sell art to support their families. Um, um, they, and they've done lots of, they have lots of little educational things in their system and I mean, it was amazing to me what they've done for these people. They now are taking Syrian refugees. But one thing, I think I brought it with me, one thing that um, impressed me was um, the, I don't know if you can see this from there, but um, it's the letter Nun in Arabic. Um, with a cross in it. The letter Nun is N for Nazarene, which is what they call Christians. And um, this is a symbol of suffering. And um, they asked us to pray for their ministry and specifically for the people that are living there. They don't want to stay, they don't want to stay away from their home in Syria or Iraq. They want things to get better so they can go home. Um, but meanwhile, this church is still doing such an amazing work, and they asked us to pray for them. So that was one of the things that really touched me. There's so much. Um, <laughs> so, um, but anyway, I thank you all for praying for me while I was gone. It was the most amazing thing. I feel I haven't wrapped my head around everything yet, but um, I like talking about it. So. <laughs> Um, God is so good to us, and I'm thankful for where I live. Do you want to lead a prayer for them? Yes. Let's pray for them. So Father God, do we do lift up the church, um, the Philadelphia Nazarene Market Church in Amman, Jordan. Lord, we thank you for their, their passion and their heart for the Christians in Syria and Iraq. The place where to be a Christian means you have your property taken from you. A, a sign, a symbol painted on the, the doorposts or the gate of your home and property, which basically opens you up to horrific things from anyone in that community. Lord God, we ask that you would bless this ministry, meet its financial needs. Lord God, give strength to all those that are serving there and that are loving them. Lord God, please, and may we May we here in, the, in our church body realize that there are churches all over the world that are serving in really hostile environments. And, and Mon Jordan is not necessarily the safest place, but it is greater to be known for the love of Jesus Christ and suffer and to die for him than it is to remain silent and to hide. Amen. And Lord God, they are not hiding. And we rejoice in their boldness for the gospel and their love for others who are suffering now. Lord God, thank you for this ministry, and we ask that you would just continue to meet all of its needs. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.